Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 155. The last episode we did, number 154, such as the way of numbers, was with Lucy George. Lucy is, I believe, the third Nuffield Scholar from this year's um, cohort that we've interviewed. She is a tea producer, so that was really interesting. Produces tea and produces kombucha from the uh, from not yeah from the byproduct of the tea, uh, which is very interesting. And if you want to go and watch a episode where I look like I know nothing about the world, that's a good one because I don't know anything about tea production. I don't drink tea. <laughs> it was a tricky one. Um, so yeah, it was uh, very interesting, and I'm looking forward to meeting Lucy, which will be at the time of recording next week, at the time of release of this episode, probably about a week and a half ago. <clears throat> um, the next episode we'll have after today is another Nuffield Scholar and Dan Jones. There's two... Dan's, I can't remember what Dan is doing. Um, we'll get to that once we film. Uh, there is 23 of us and remembering exactly what everyone's doing is actually quite difficult. So go to the next episode for another uh, Nuffield Scholar. And a little heads up, <coughs> obviously we have the All In series. We've got a European Cup football winner, which I'm really excited about. Uh, Liverpool team in the 80s, I'll let you try and work out who it is uh, coming on. We won't be filming that until January, so it'll be January time. We've got someone from Sex Education, the TV show. Um, we've got someone who cycled from what I believe to be Mexico to the bottom of Chile and uh, a bike she made from bamboo shoots and on her way had talks with communities and villages about environmentalism and sustainability and their production methods of what they were doing in that community, whatever it might be, which is kind of a mad story, actually. And then... Uh, there's another one that's coming up in the all inside of things. I can't remember who, but there's a lot coming on on there. The only thing is, is we're going to have to put a stop to filming for a bit because my poor co-host got a knee to the eye, which is a place I would not like a knee. Uh, last week in a game of rugby, and it looks like he has a plum in his left eye and he can't feel his left face. He only has one face, the left of his face. Uh, so, yeah. Until we can film again, there will be no all-in episodes coming out, which is a shame, obviously, for Ed. Hopefully, Ed gets better, Ed, if you're listening. I actually do care about you somewhat. Uh, but also, we've just taken on a new sponsor on that side of things, uh, so quite excited to share that with you as well. <clears throat> Today's episode, continuing on the Nuffield line of things, is another Nuffield scholar, and we'll get into their story as we go. But that Nuffield scholar today is Harry Winslet. Harry, would you like to say hello? Hello, Articast. How are you doing? Hello, Wallace. How are you doing? Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as A-Plan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. Very good, mate. Very good. I'm already speaking to the viewers. You're, you're made for this, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Media trained. <laughs> Not in the slightest. Although, yeah, maybe one or two podcasts and a terrible TV appearance before, but we'll get into that later. Oh my God, We ha I was unaware of this. We will be getting into your terrible TV appearance entirely. Um, one thing I meant to say in the intro that I just wanted to update on life is funny uh, about TV is uh, I don't know who those, those of you listening. I'm almost certain all of you will follow Cammy Wilson, the sheet game, good friend of mine, <clears throat> and uh, Graham Parker, the Hoof GP. 
you probably don't know the other people. You might know uh, follow Dalscon Farm as well, who I've had in the podcast as well. Uh, they have had a rescue mission for a sheep. It is all over the news, all over the telly, all over the papers, all over social media. So if you want to go and see what I'm talking about, just Google Fiona the sheep. You will find it. It's everywhere. Quite a fun story. Um, but yeah, away from random sheep going missing, Harry, and, and big uh, rescue missions. Give us a bit of background about yourself. It, it says in your Nuffield bio uh, that as a kid, Dr. Scrubs were what were ready for you. And uh, it seems as a Nuffield scholar, you're not here with Nuffield Health. Um, that's not what you've done. So tell us about your background. Yeah, my Nuffield bio. Um, I think I said on there that I grew up uh, about as geographically and societally far from a farm as you possibly could do. Um, I, I grew up in more or less central London, um, Camden Town for those who have been um, part of the emo scene in the mid-noughties. Um, it's, uh, yeah, and I was sort of destined to become a doctor um, like my dad and uh, sort of realised at the age of about probably 18, 19 that, um, that that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do, but I'd sort of done all my education at school uh chosen all my a-levels gearing towards that and then um just didn't have the desire to do it um and wanted to go and learn about the natural world and and go and study biology uh so i went down to bristol um i studied biology as an undergrad uh for three years and then did a master's in uh 2017-18 looking at the effect of climate change on the spread of human viruses and obviously, in 2018, thought that that would never be relevant again um, and made a very sensible decision to move out of that into agriculture. Um, and I'd, I'd done my original dissertation on um, water use efficiency, crop production. So there was the natural progression there. Uh, and yeah, so joined uh, G's in October of 2018, moved myself over to the Fens, having never visited before. And uh, five years later, I'm still sat in the same office talking to you today. So. Yeah, five years of veg production. You should leave the office sometimes, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, else would I want to do at half six on a Thursday night, eh? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Little else in our very boring lives we clearly lead. Uh, no, um, it's, uh, do you know the amount of people we bring on this podcast that are like, I think, oh, I think I've had three in the last 10 episodes who start in central London with no ties like nothing to farming um, and I think it's good because we have this sort of perception don't we that we don't have new people come to the sector and clearly we do there's quite a lot of people doing it and um, yeah I wanted to pick up on one thing because you're uh, oh god climate change relation to disease uh, global disease I can't remember the exact term um, you said you made the right decision to come out do you not think you could have made a pretty good career for yourself if you'd waited two years. <laughs> I don't know if I was uh, working closely enough with uh, yeah. with COVID or the likes have ever been involved. I was I was sat in a temperature controlled lab rearing ticks um, at about five degrees Celsius in more or less continual darkness. So uh, yeah, there was a there was a, a desire to get out of there into some open fresh air, probably, which was uh, the subconscious decision to to join a farm at that point. 
<laughs> I can absolutely see why. Um, reading ticks, I guess, is some form of farming, uh, but <laughs> it's, it's probably a, the, the most out there one I've tried to compare to farming in my, in my time in the podcasting game. But what there's still, apart from one dissertation, yeah, well, not dissertation, um, one sort of project that you've done, uh, it's still a pretty loose tie to agriculture. What made you think, do you know what, I've got a degree and a master's in these two things, Let's jump onto essentially what's something completely away from that. What what made you make that jump? Yeah, no, I've always been uh, always been interested in food. Um, always been uh, well, I say always have been becomingly yet yeah, increasingly worried about um, the climate. Of there's a tie there, obviously, to be explored. Um, and I wanted to use my degree um, in something relevant. I had loads of friends who had um, you know done fascinating degrees in organic chemistry or ancient history and had gone back to London after finishing three or four years um, and put on a suit and worked in audit or finance and I had absolutely no desire to do that Um, and so I just wanted to put my skills to use Um, uh, working with plants in 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 my uh, education I was found it super interesting um, exciting and 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 looked at a number of ways I could do that and geez um, seemed super accommodating um really keen to have someone who didn't necessarily come from an ag background onto the sort of management training scheme um whether that was to bring in you know fresh ideas or or just um you know something a bit different from the tried and tested formula um and and g's were really good uh willing to you know take me on and um and so that was yeah how i started started my career and 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 in five years god the amount i've learned and how far I think we've come as a farm and I've come as a person, hopefully. Um, yeah, it's a testament to what a good decision that was. Yeah, definitely. And before we get on to G's, I have two questions that we have to bring up. First off, well, one's less important than the other. And the viewers probably think the one I think is important is less important. However, I've got a weird way of thinking. The less important one is uh, when you said you were focused on being a doctor, was it you that was focused on being a doctor or did you just feel that that was the right thing? Did you at that time really want to be? Uh, I think what, growing up, I genuinely, from the age of about five, been left on hospital wards um, while my dad was checking on sick patients on the way before going to the football. I was brought up um, on hospital wards, fortunately not sick myself, but yeah. um, I felt so comfortable in a hospital environment and, uh, and, and did loads of work experience, volunteered at the hospital. Um, it seemed like the natural progression. And I just realised increasingly as I went through school and growing up and adolescence, as you do, that I you just don't sort of necessarily end up following the path that you were sort of preordained to take, let's say. Um, and I just found myself wanting to do something, um, you know, have a wider a wider view of the world, a wider experience. And um, and I think a biology degree just sort of allowed me to look at every aspect of you know cell biology plant biology conservation behavior so there was just a, a breadth to it um that that really excited me and i really wanted to, to to take on as opposed to going down the medical route i would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors howden rural the new name for a plan rural howden rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates this could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. Be sure to check out Howden Rural today. And the, the thing I thought was very important, but I'm sure you and most people won't, and it's just something I've got to ask. The emo scene, first off, 
Oh, did you say goth scene? I can't remember which one. No, uh, no, it was emo. But yeah, yeah. goth, goth also frequent Camden, so it could have been. <laughs> um, but you said, did you say the nineties or the noughties? The noughties. The noughties. I was going to say. I was like, you can't be that old. There's no chance. No, right. I'm a child of the nineties. I'm a I'm a true true millennial. Um, but yeah, I was I was I was a teenager in the noughties in Camden Town. Um, so yeah, that was uh an interesting time and place to be. Well, I think just having seen the cohort, you and I will be in the bottom three or four of age. So what age are you? Uh, approaching 30 with terrifying speed, but still just about <laughs> 29. <laughs> just about. Uh, okay, so you're a wee, bit, a wee bit older than me, but I thought we'd be quite similar. I'm 26, but uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you did say that, and I thought you'd said 90s, and I was like, there is, you have got the most insane skin for someone of your age, if that's the case. <laughs> no, 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 I wish. I wish. I've got no secrets. <laughs> I've got no secrets, yeah. Just an intense moisturising regime. Um. <laughs> Yeah, moving on to job uh, now then, Harry, you've sort of moved, made that sort of jump from, from, I mean, let's just say not farming, a completely different sector. And uh, this this has came up. And as you said, geez, we're really open to someone that that was the case. So was, was that something that came up in the interview that, you know, this wasn't your life until now and you were ready for this challenge because you've been interested for some time? How did that come about? Yeah, I applied, um, I applied sort of, reasonably late into when people normally apply sort of postmasters um and uh and the the applications were open and uh and then pretty quickly geez were keen to hear um what i what i sort of could offer um and so yeah turned around really quickly and had an interview a couple of couple of days later and um and then joined the farm probably the week after that and so it was uh i think being able to look at the problems that we have in UK agriculture or UK horticulture from an outsider's perspective, but with an with an an, an understanding of plant physiology, how plants work, nutrition requirements, that sort of thing, but not with any preconceived ideas as to you know why you got to plough post harvest or um or or why you know the four spray fungicide regime. None of I had I didn't even own a pair of wellies when I joined the farm. So <laughs> um yeah, coming from the outside was I think something that probably interested the farm um and just seeing whether it would be a risk that that might pay off um and so yeah jesus said was super super accommodating and 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 keen and um the first i joined the farm in october and obviously in growing salads you've not got a huge amount to do until february um so it was uh five months of learning to drive tractors and what piece of kit did what and uh still think five years on i'm still learning what piece of kit does exactly <laughs> what um but yeah it was uh it was a, a really steep learning curve so tell us about g's as a business um is it is it farming is it horticulturally based is it field is it greenhouse what, what's how's it working so uh how long have we got g's his uh g's is a, a vertically integrated um company selling salads uh and veg across predominantly um the european sort of major retailers um but also with operations in in north america um and i think stepping into the middle east and asian markets in in the coming years um so g's own about 15 to seventeen thousand hectares um right. growing 
3,000 hectares annually of arable and the remainder of um, high value cropping. So um, veg and salads uh, with probably about 7,000 hectares of that is in the UK uh, and the remaining 9,000 then spread farming across uh, the south of Spain in the Murcia region, um, Poland, the Czech Republic, and then with a farming operation in Senegal, growing spring onions for the UK winter market. So the the portfolio of crops is is uh, is huge, growing lettuces, celery, onions, potato, cut flowers, fruit, um, soft fruit, citrus. So there's a uh, yeah the and and providing all of those crops in some capacity into UK and European um, major supermarkets. So it is an incredibly uh, diverse. Uh, company says nine thousand employees, um, so it's a, a pretty a pretty huge beast. Um, but yeah, I could go on for for days talking about how, uh, yeah, diverse and complicated, but fascinatingly efficient it is. It's <laughs> this is one of those cases where I've majorly underestimated something. Um, I think the principal at the uni I worked for, Professor Wayne Powell, uh, I would say probably a friend of mine these days, his wife, I believe, to be quite high up in G's. Uh, I only know her surname is Powell. <laughs> I don't actually think I know her name. only met her once, but she spoke a wee bit about, oh, if you want to bring students down, that sort of thing. And until a few hours ago, <laughs> I thought it was just a relatively big lettuce place. You know? Wow. <laughs> I did not realise the extent to what it was. Oh my God. Like, Starting naming countries throughout Europe and then also Africa, amazing. And is is that a, is that a portfolio? You might not know this, Harry. And don't worry if you don't. But is that a portfolio that's built up over decades and decades and decades, or or when did G's begin? I assume in the UK. Yeah, so G's began in the UK in uh in the Fens, uh sort of between Ely and Soham. Um, if your Cambridgeshire geography is half reasonable, um, let's say seventy miles north of London. Um, okay uh in the early 50s um so the grandfather of the current ceo um both called guy shropshire uh, right. uh started with uh, i think three or five acres um growing carrots and celery uh and then the business has grown more land's been acquired um to now be yeah the business that it is today so uh, the the spanish farms uh, began, I believe, around uh, the turn of the millennium um, to ensure that we had a winter supply for the UK retailers. Um, and then uh, strategic farms were yeah, acquired through sort of Central Europe. And then the Senegalese farms have been running um, for, I believe, 10 to 15 years now. Um, and that was, you know, a completely arid um, Senegalese village and water had to be brought to the area and canals were built in order to do so and um you know whole villages and and towns there transformed so yeah the 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 size of the farms and and, and the speed of acceleration is um extraordinary so you're not really only in the the business of food production you're also in the philanthropy of helping out communities and yeah creating yeah. communities almost and, and sort of creating work well i did not realize that that's that's amazing and is do you think i i and apologies for assuming here, but I'm guessing this isn't the case that you'll be involved in this uh, decision quite yet, Ali. But do you think the future of Jesus to continue expanding that? Is that something that they intend on doing? You mentioned strategic buying. It wasn't just there's ground for sale. 
they're they're buying it with strategy. Do you think that's part of the strategy? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, the 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 European um, market relative to the UK market is is enormous, um, and the the Spanish farms now um, outside the UK farms, and I think are doing phenomenally well. And there's organic business in 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 both UK and Europe, which is growing, um, yeah, incredibly quickly. So I think as long as those um, those farms and that land acquired offer something um, that's you know beneficial. And and as I said, with the size of the European market, there's definitely scope to to, to increase. I think climate change will will, will likely have an uh, you know an impact, and I think there'll be um, certain areas of land that maybe become more suitable for growing certain crops than others, and you know certain farm operations may move um, may move north with with years to come. Um, I think you know we have to we have to see how how things develop um, if if. If the, the rate of change continues, then I think that's almost a guarantee. Um, but yeah, I can't see, you know, I can't see G standing still. They've never done it for seventy years, and and I don't think now's the time to start. I am, um, as you know, when I think when, yeah, when we were pretty much all getting in touch and getting to know each other, it was it was when I was out in Ukraine, and obviously to get to Ukraine with a car, you go through Poland. <laughs> the level of production in that place is insane. Have you been out to Poland to work or no? No, I haven't been out to Poland. I was out in Spain last week. Um, right. So they said down um, sort of between uh, Alicante and Mercia. Um, so, yeah, on, on the south of Spain. And again, the the landscape that of, of sort of green irrigated cropping and, and greenhouse production is mind-blowing. I think, the, I believe that you can see the greenhouse production down in that region of Spain from the moon. So it's... Um, oh, really? Yeah, the, yeah the, the size of it is is unbelievable. And do you travel quite a bit with your work? uh no not not particularly um i've i've sort of cut my teeth in um in in this corner of cambridgeshire for the last five years so um increasingly yeah having a a sort of teams and online presence with the farming operations and now is uh having a better chance to to go and see some of those soils and it's obviously completely different systems to to what we're working with here so um you sort of go and and, and have a look and you have to understand the context and why certain um, you know analyses look as they do and and what have you. So I, I'm hopeful that as alongside the Nuffield, there'll be more chance to travel with work. Um, my girlfriend won't be pleased for me to stay, but uh, yeah, I think um, I think I think hopefully in the in in the years to come, then Poland, Senegal, Czech Republic are all places that that I'll you know have a crack at. Um, with with the Nuffield, obviously we'll come on come on to that and and talk about travel and whatnot in, in a bit, Harry. But tell us about what your your exact role is with G's. So uh, my job title is Future Farming Manager um, at Cam's Farms Growers, which is the sort of flagship home farm of G's. So we've the farm here is 4,000 hectares, um, and we are growing lettuce, celery, uh, onions, potatoes, wheat, uh and then maize for an AD plant. And uh, and so we, it was decided um, over the last five years that we would try and align ourselves uh, significantly more with sort of regenerative growing practices, um, which is been growing at a, yeah, and I, you know, an, an incredibly um, impressive rate in the cereal and livestock sector, um, but regenerative horticulture obviously with all the cultivation and tillage and crop protection that goes with it is um 
is is another beast entirely. Uh, so I joined G's uh, analyzing and running trials, and then after a few years of of getting to know the system, um, took on the 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 management of the strategy of how we are going to, um, you know, take this four thousand hectare farm and and move it towards these sort of regenerative principles and um and hopefully you know continue to grow four thousand hectares of very productive cropping but with far less of an impact on on the environment um less use of fertilizer cultivation um you know ag chem water um but yeah without without anyone and especially the customers ever really knowing that we're that we're doing it when you say without them knowing that you're doing it, do you mean no impact on the produce they buy? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We we love to sing about what we're doing. Um yeah. and 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 it's great for people to come and to come and see. Um but obviously the first thing is that it has no impact on the quality, uh, the quantity, um, any of the timeliness or shelf life or, or anything of, of, of that note. If I somehow had students down that way, could I come and show them? Absolutely. Yeah, Thanks. that's part of the Nuffield family now. Yeah. That's it. I see. You have to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> now like, I'm on the podcast. I can't say no, can I? Yeah, yeah that was maybe unfair to ask you. But stop recording. You're like, by the way, uh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe that. Maybe the Nuffield sort of uh, database is just like some kind of Masonic handshake, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Nuffield, if you're listening, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, no, brilliant. It sounds. It sounds like a a pretty exciting career, actually. But you got into it at quite a young age as well. So what, twenty four ish? Yeah, I think I was. I think I was fortunate. I, I sort of jumped on the bandwagon of um, whether you call it regenerative or sustainable, or um, you know, trying to find alternative ways of, of of growing crops. Just at the point when it became, you know, let's say mainstream. Um, and there's, you know, it's you read you regularly hear regenerative and, and yeah, sustainable um, biological farming nowadays. And and I think I just sort of got in it semi by chance and luck at the right time i know it's livestock based but have you ever heard of claire whittle uh ashamedly no no it's not ashamedly at all there's a lot of people in this world <laughs> um claire claire's an uffield scholar in the unfortunate year with covid unfortunately so it was uk based but um it's livestock she is entirely she's a vet uh, her name on instagram which i think is amazing is dr do whittle um but Claire's Nuffield scholarship was on dung beetles. And I'm fascinated. There's not going to be many much dung dropped on a lettuce field, I understand, but um it does sound up your street, the utilization of them, because I know it's not something that's going to impact you directly, but I think just with the regenerative side, she's very much into grounds well and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I could see used to Yeah, no, it. it sounds great. We've uh in the last sort of six months just uh got a little lab set up here in the office microscope testing um so we've now yeah massively trying to understand the sort of insect and um microbiome impacts of what we're doing um so yeah i'd be i'd be delighted to to hear and we do have some livestock on the farm not a huge amount but we sure. do have we do have a flying flock of sheep who turn up every winter and uh graze you know a few hundred hectares so i guess that's not a small grazing operation but it's uh not four thousand hectares of salad production well, no, that's it. And the, I think the thing that really interested me, and we're sort of an off topic a minute here, but I mentioned it and I, I might as well say why. Um, you've got the cowpat on the ground. Yeah. You might see a cowpat here in Scotland that's still there in two months' time. <laughs> you know, whereas one, because there's enough rain that it can stay 
not dry away and disappear. And two, because if you're in a location without a high dung beetle count, what I'm about to say doesn't happen. She says in Norway, where the environment is just completely conducive to dung beetles, it can be disappearing in hours because dung beetles just go to it and you either get dwellers for the ones that sort of run around in the pat and spread it all around, or you get the, I, I don't know if the word's borers, but you know what I mean, the ones that just go down into the ground and they take that, however much dung they've taken, take it down and you're just, <laughs> you're just self-fertilising. It's genius. It's so interesting. And I think at first when I heard Claire speak, I was like, yeah, it's good, but it's not going to work, is it? Like, it's not large scale. <laughs> it sounds like it could be. So yeah, it might be might be of interest. Um just a just a thing for you to consider. But uh coming back to yourself, Harry, sorry for the, the sort of um the sidetrack, but that is if you've listened to any of my podcasts, <laughs> I, I operate. <laughs> uh, yeah, so at G's a lot of production going on everywhere. And I think my my question is 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 there interest not just sort of to travel here and there um, with work, but interested to sort of actually try operating out of some of those other places, Europe and Africa over? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've, um, I, I think, you know, work have been super accommodating um, with the plans for the Nuffield. Um, but part of, part of that, um, as well as going and looking at peatlands globally, um, which is, what I think we'll speak about when we talk about my actual project um, is, you know, getting a, a far greater understanding for, um, you know, international diplomacy, international, um, you know, communication, how to learn how, how different farming systems work, not just at a sort of at the farm level, but at the macro level. Um, and so having that sort of wider global view of, uh, of, of, of how the system operates should in theory allow me to, um, to at some point down the line in the future have a have a bigger influence um on on some of those global farms so yeah i'm definitely keen to um to to, to try new things and go to new places and um i guess the nuffield's the start of that but but i definitely hope it won't be the end of it yeah so let's let's jump on to nuffield what what was the is i think it's quite interesting because we've um we've had and i'm not going to say who because that makes it quite fun we've had someone on the podcast that uh, it was our second attempt at nuffield um I think it was your first attempt. Uh, what is what? What was the before you even get into topic and stuff like that? What was the the motive to do it? Why why did Nuffield spring to mind? Why did you go through the process? Um, I've been aware of Nuffield for well, quite a few years since I joined. Um, since I joined G really, G's really. Um, and went to Groundswell for the first time in two thousand and nineteen, and. Uh, and and almost every panel that I sat and watched, someone spoke from a position of like real knowledge and and real like respect. Want and and so many of them um, were were Nuffield were Nuffield uh, scholars, and so I came away from from Groundswell and and researched it and um, and learned about it and thought you know I was still twenty three at the time, um, twenty four, and uh, but but thought you know there's a there's something in this. I definitely, this is something that's, that, that, that I really want to get involved with. Um, and then over the last sort of three or four years, um, I've met more people through the industry and, and, and in particular, um, Ben Taylor Davis. I don't know if you know, Ben, uh, um, either regen Ben, regen Ben, uh, indeed, who's, who's become a good friend over the last, uh, over the last sort of three years. Um, and, and he's been, um, you know, almost every month when we meet, um asking me if i've got my application in and 
and then uh, I was I was just about to apply last year, um, and then picked up my life in Cambridgeshire, moved back to Bristol, um, and it didn't seem like quite the right time. So uh, this year, uh, yeah, all the stars aligned, and uh, and and I managed to get my application in, and 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 yeah, obviously it was it was successful. So tell us, you don't need to go into too much detail. Some people quite like to, but how was the process? Uh, the process was stressful to begin with, um, shall we say? Uh, yeah, I lost, uh, I lost my, I lost my dad in the summer after a, a, a brief illness, and uh, I hadn't got anywhere near starting my application, and then I had a week of of time off work afterwards, and thought, right, better, better use this week wisely. Um, and so I got my application done then, and probably didn't do it anywhere near the justice that I probably would have done at another time um and so when I was given an interview I thought that was uh you know that was a massive uh yeah pat on the back and then and then having the mock interview uh I had Richard Council and Kendra Hall do my mock interview and and that put me at ease so much um I found that to be super helpful and um, just the chance to chat things through and get things wrong and say stupid things and uh and 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 for them to say that that actually you know they they gave me a huge amount of confidence saying that everything I'd said made sense and 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 came across clearly. So when I stepped into the into the interview, it was really um yeah, it was just trying to keep calm in a big glass high rise London office. And uh, actually, that's probably broken part of the rules of the Nuffield Club of uh, not never saying where it is. But it was actually in Madrid. <laughs> but yeah no and then the interview was um well as you'll know short and sweet shall we say yeah yeah there was no messing around it was uh, no time for the faff no yeah. time for the faff that i've just spoken about over the last yeah five minutes or so <laughs> well i mean here after the trauma of the summer um you should be very proud to have got to the stage you have uh but yeah, Thanks, I don't know the other person but kendra was very helpful with me in my application um I was, uh, I was stuck in two worlds because deep interest in agricultural education, deep interest in social media, and uh, originally I started looking at social media, and from an Uffield scholarship, and then I thought, do you know what? I think that more sits as a PhD, so I wanted to do this Nuffield, and then PhD on the, the thing, which will be down the line, or maybe never. Who knows? Uh, maybe I put off the PhD intentionally. Um, but yeah, it was it was a it was an experience that the interview process I quite enjoyed, but it was it was um, something I'd certainly never done before. Uh, so tell us tell us about your your topic. Yeah, so um, I'm looking at uh, at peatlands um, and more uh, more appropriately how we continue to farm on peatlands. Um, the you know the the carbon emissions from drained peatlands for agriculture is um, pretty eye-watering. Uh, just just those emissions alone make up about 5% of the UK's entire carbon emissions. Um, right. So that's not from any of the fuel use or um, any of the operations that happen. That's just from the soils themselves. Uh, so about 18 million tonnes of carbon a year. Um, so it's, yeah, a, a huge amount of carbon leaking from our peat soils. Um, and part of the solution to that will be re-wetting them and returning them to wetlands um but you know the the fens in here in cambridgeshire produces 30 percent of the uk's veg 
um, 20% of its potatoes, about 8% of its grain. So it's a huge, you know, breadbasket of the UK. Um, and and ubiquitously wetting them um, is most likely just going to offshore the problem somewhere else. So there are solutions to be had, found hopefully amongst, you know, smallholder farms in um, places like Borneo and uh, and in Brazil and projects happening at universities across Europe and Canada, looking at actually how, without necessarily just re-wetting these soils, can we reduce the carbon emissions coming from them? Um, so part of that looks at wetland cropping, part of that looks at regenerative, part of that looks at whole-scale carbon reintroductions. There's a huge amount of work being done. Um, and so, yeah, the Nuffield sort of lends itself nicely to going and looking at, at how those systems work. And to those who are uneducated in this side of things, i.e. myself, how does one re-wet a peatland? In in practice, uh, not as easy as in theory. Um, it's like a watering can, you know. Like... <laughs> I mean, the 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 fens and and the wetlands in or the peatlands in this up in this part of the world are are actively drained. Um, so internal drainage boards manage the water levels um, and actively pump the water back out of the wash. Um, they were drained in the 1500s by the Dutch, uh, and and as such, have are are extremely fertile soils because of the nature of you know some of our farms here are 75 percent organic matter um so you can imagine you know that when that breaks down um there's a huge amount of carbon that that's released from it if in theory you stopped draining the water off the the, the area would naturally re-wet themselves um that's a simplification of a very complex process um but yeah the the, the whole scale re-wetting um you know may work in some capacity um on some areas that would still operate as you know pristine carbon sinks but there are huge areas which have either become wasted and inverted into subsoil or become mineral or you know are now isolated islands of peat that would never have the capacity to be re-wetted um but we still have to find ways of farming them without the associated you know loss of carbon you mentioned borneo there <clears throat> is that one of the places you plan on going to yeah yeah absolutely there's um there's there's a lot of uh, projects there, looking at um, you know intercropping with certain species or or farming different horizons of the soil and keeping soil moisture um, at different depths and and also looking at actually you know what supply chains exist for crops grown in in wetter soils. Rice is obviously one of them in a tropical climate, but there are others. Um, and actually, you know, not necessarily with a G's hat on, but but with a with the with the UK peatlands, are there alternative crops or alternative systems that we should be looking at um, that 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 might offer us some um, you know solution to this problem? I don't think there's many places that have me, fascinated me since a kid more than Borneo. In fairness, so um, that's pretty cool. That's really cool, actually. And you said Brazil. Obviously, we'll both be in Brazil at the same time. Uh, are you just going to wait out longer? Is that the plan? Yeah. So the so so it's obviously the CSC. Um, is 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 the main reason for going to Brazil? Then the the uh, the the tours afterwards. Um, one of those is five days in the wetlands, which was a place I was wanting to go anyway. Oh, perfect. Um, and so so to join a group of other scholars and um, you know hopefully international um, scholars as well going and and looking at those systems um, made perfect sense to me. And then I'll probably stay out for another four or five days, hopefully, um, and do some independent sort of deeper diving into some of those systems. Um, before yeah, before heading home and back to the fence. Yeah, it's it's um 
And Nuffield would be easier if you had unlimited time <laughs> to jump into all these things because I don't think I'm going to have time to wait after because there's one that did appeal to me. Um, I'm very much looking forward to Brazil in itself, though. Where where else are you looking at going? So there's a there's a huge areas of of wetlands which have been drained for agriculture, growing all sorts of range of crops um, through the Baltics and Scandinavia and sort of northeastern Europe. Um, sort of ranging all the way from Poland, yeah, through Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, and then back through Finland, Sweden. So that would be a, a really lovely project to do. And there's a couple of um of conferences that that sort of fall strategically uh along the route next summer. Um so I think potentially June, July if I can get it cleared from work, which is busy season for UK salads, but but that'd be a great trip. Um there's some wonderful work being done in Canada, um in Quebec, where about eighty percent of their lettuce is being farmed on peatlands. Um, so looking at using willow and miscanthus coppice um, grown on the peatlands and then reintroducing the carbon that way. Um, so, yeah, Canada um, and then into sort of north, north uh, eastern USA and then, yeah, potentially uh, potentially a trip to, to the Congo if there's any time and money left. Amazing. That will be amazing. So I, I was in Rwanda uh, and... I mean, they, they diplomatically don't get on. Um, but if it's anything like Rwanda, it'll be a fantastic place. I mean, a, Congo is massive. <laughs> it's insane. Um, but yeah, that would be brilliant. Fantastic. So quite a few places. And when you say Miscanthus coppice, is that elephant grass? No. Yes. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug... The sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Uh, yes, I think it's a, I think it's a hybrid, but yeah. Right, yeah, got it, got it. And I, I've, I've asked this to everyone else, um, uh, just I think it's quite a fun question. What do you think would make you feel you're enough field of being a success? It's a very deep question, but it's fun, isn't it? Right, you could have had some warning about that. Um, <laughs> from a personal level or from an industrial level? I think both. I think both are very important. I mean, whichever one you want to answer on or both is totally up to yourself. From an industrial from an industrial level, um, I'd love to 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 genuinely understand how we can solve some of these problems. Um, bring back some of the techniques that I've learned on my travels, use the platform that we have here in Cambridgeshire to be, you know, a leading centre for peatland agriculture in the UK and in Europe and, you know, have a, have people come and have the opportunity to see what we're doing and learn in the same way that I have um, to go and around the world and bring these ideas back. So industrially speaking, I think that would be, um, that'd be great. Personally, um, I think if I come back absolutely knackered next uh next november and completely shattered that would be you know really good i think it's going to be tiring but um just to look back and say i gave it my best crack and uh and you know took every opportunity said yes to everything um i think i've spoken to a few scholars in the past who said just don't overplan it allow the travels to take you where they take you because yeah. you'll plan to go to the us for two weeks and you'll find yourself in you know mexico four weeks later um, yeah. because you know one person says yes to the next person and introduces you to the next person and so I think that's definitely um, you know I just uh, I, I want to take every opportunity I can um, and then I think I'll be proud of, of, of what I put into it 
brilliant. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's a very good answer. And the 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 not planning too much is what I've been told by everyone. I know it's right. I think it just struggles in my head. <laughs> I'm 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 so strategic and such a fastidious planner. Um, yeah. that someone saying, yeah, I mean, go to start your projects or start your, your European travels in the Netherlands, but don't book your next train. Just terrifies me but um you know the whole point of nuffield i guess is, is being outside the comfort zone right mm. oh 100 um and i mean i'm not the biggest planner in the world i just sort of like to have an idea what's happening but i mean here maybe i'll maybe i'll be all right with it i'm quite looking forward to that sort of challenge i guess as well um yeah so i'm just trying to think what was that eight countries you mentioned quite a few um, oh god yeah no yeah idea. a few yeah, and I think it's I think you're right. Like, I mean, I don't know if you know Claire Taylor, but Claire's Claire's a Nuffield scholar from like last year. And uh, I don't think Claire's been home. <laughs> she's been home about three days in the last however long. And she's constantly in a new place, she just keeps traveling. So uh yeah, it's it's amazing what opportunities are out there. Um and yeah, it's it's an exciting thing to be part of. I'm I'm really excited, and like you said at the start, known about it for a while. I have as well, and sort of getting to the stage that you're now one of those ones that you sort of looked up to almost is really cool. Um, no, listen, mate, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, it's been yeah, great. been great hearing about what the plan is. Uh, and yeah, I should, well, we're going to meet in person in a few days, which I look forward to as well. Maybe chat for a bit longer. Um, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to next week just to meet everyone and feel that buzz and be like, I think I'll actually get the vibe of, we're not field scholars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it still seems a bit, a bit, um, yeah, surreal. I mean, it went on the the Twitter bio and the the email signature, and I sort of felt a bit of a imposter syndrome. So I think once we get given a piece of paper and hear what all the scholars have been up to, you know, who are presenting over Wednesday and Thursday next week, um, yeah. yeah, we'll have a a, a sense of um, you know keenness to crack on at that point. I think. Oh, definitely, very excited for it. Very excited for it, but. Before we finish, there's two questions I ask absolutely everyone. Um, one's not nice, and it's not. It's one that I should have given you a, a, a forewarning for, to be honest. But I do it to everyone without, so you're in the same boat. Uh, the first one is where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one is if you had any tips for people, like advice for people coming into farming, what would they be? Uh, where do I see myself being in five years? Um, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, I think you know where we've where we've what we've spoken about 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 the Nuffield and using the good that's come of it and what I've learned on the travels to um, you know really try and tackle some of the problems that we've got with our with our systems here. Um, as I said, with a greater influence over um, you know the projects and and farming that we're having across the world and and yeah and and if we can you know use that position of um, of knowledge to to influence someone in in Westminster um to, to you know take this take this problem seriously and um and yeah and 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 continue to you know understand what a massive part of the um the UK's net zero plan this is um and if we can be involved in that then then that would be amazing i think the the westminster part is so important because <laughs> i worry for the position of the country from a food production perspective absolutely yeah and uh, advice for folk coming into farming? Uh, don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. 
I turned up five years ago um, in like shiny shoes and skinny jeans with a with a, a city chip on my shoulder. Um, and I think if I hadn't asked every question and just been completely, you know, completely willing to be wrong and learn, um, then I, I don't think I'd have I'd have got as far as a Nuffield scholarship for sure. Um, but yeah, if especially for people outside of farming who have come from alternative backgrounds or or, or like myself you know, from the big smoke. Um, don't, don't, yeah, don't have any reservation. It's a great career um, if you're willing to get your hands dirty and, and learn. And, yeah, very good points. Very good points. Um, and albeit I said that was the last two things, there's one more question I have because I forgot to ask something. You said you had an ex- a bad experience on the TV. Oh, God, I can't remember if we were talking about oh it was at the start of the podcast. I couldn't remember. It was, it was yeah, it was. was yeah. The, um I actually spoke about it in my Nutfield interview as well. Uh I uh I had a, a terrible showing on MasterChef in 2018, just just before I joined G's actually. Um and Probably. got absolutely torn apart by by John and Greg in the MasterChef kitchen. So uh I think uh, it's still available somewhere on iPlayer, um, <laughs> or if not on Netflix. So, yeah, go and watch How Not to Cook Halibut and Beans. Here, that's pretty cool if you're on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I can but, use that as a title. But not for, but not for, be, not for being shamed for being, you know, putting yourself on national telly and getting disgraced. But no, it was great. It was good fun. It was, uh, it was another sort of bucket list thing. Um, and I thought, you know, I just finished my degree, and if not now, when? So I applied, and then it just all of a sudden got a bit far. And uh, next thing I knew, I was on the telly. Do you have to be a chef to be a master chef? Uh, there is a professionals one, um, yeah. where 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 the quality and standard of cooking is extraordinary. But um, no, there is one for for muggles as well. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think. Um, I think I sort of hammed it up in my interview there a bit um, as to as to what I offered the camera, not necessarily to the to the taste buds. Um, so he probably took me for the comic value, I reckon. I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm sure it'll be on TikTok these days somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, brilliant. Appreciate your time, Harry. It's been really good fun. I hope you had a good time filming. Yeah, yeah, been great. Really enjoyed. Can't yeah. wait for next week now. Yeah, no, very much looking forward to it. Looking forward to meeting everyone. Uh, I fly to Shetland tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm there until Sunday, working Monday, fly down Monday night with uh, my partner Yasmin. So it's going really fun. Good fun to meet you all. Good fun to go to the the uh, various things that are on um, and hopefully get the dress code right, which seems to be confusing for some of us. Um, but for those of you listening, that's been another Nuffield Scholar on the podcast today. Um, as you know, they're going to keep on coming and the next episode, as I said, is another Nuffield Scholar and Dan Jones. But as always, thank you very much for listening and we shall see you for the next episode, number 156. See you then. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast as much as I have. And I would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector, and it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far, and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural, and I'll see you for the next episode.